Amen. Thank you, Bell Choir, and thank you, Worship Choir, and for your participation today as uh, in our worship time together. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles, please, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. While you're finding your place there, uh, Bruce, I need you to help me remember at the end of the service to give an update on a very serious need of uh, Martha Gosen and Bud Gosen's grand, uh, grandbaby that was born this week. And I'm going to stick it in my pocket if you'll help me remember to tell what's going on there. And let me update also on what's going on at our home. Uh, Brenda will have some surgery, more minor surgery, to put uh, a permanent IV in her upper area up here close to the neck. And that's how she'll take her treatments, uh, which will begin on uh, Tuesday. She will start uh, chemotherapy and radiation this coming Tuesday. She'll go twice a week, uh, and then she'll be, uh, be for two weeks, then she'll be off a week, and then start the cycle over again, be two on and one off, two on and one off. And uh, for about six months or thereabouts, we don't know for certain, but it could be that long or longer, or maybe a little bit less, depending on how everything goes. I do. We do appreciate your prayers. She's not able to be here today. She's in... Uh, a lot of pain, and she's taking the strongest pain medications you can take for uh, cancer, and um, and of course those have side effects, and so she's dealing with the side effects, and well, it's still dealing with the pain because it doesn't, uh, it, it helps with the pain, but it does not help whenever she's moving from the bed to the bathroom or to the bed to the kitchen, um, any kind of movement or just turning over in the bed. Uh, it still has a great amount of pain that she's experiencing. So uh, she uh, brings you her love today and thanks you so much. So many people have sent cards and made phone calls and, and uh, brought us food and other kinds of expressions of love, and we appreciate that very, very much. Okay, I'm going to uh, read today the first seven verses of First. Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to speak to you about the God's gifted church, the church. We've been looking a couple of weeks ago when we were in, this, in our series on the church. We looked at the church as the body of Christ. And I want to pick up on that and go a little bit further today and look at the first seven verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, God's gifted church. God's gifted church. The Bible says in chapter 12, verse 1, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware that you, you know that when you are, we were pagans that you were led astray to the dumb idols, however you were led. That means idols that can't speak, idols that can't hear you when you pray, idols that are just false gods. They're not even true gods at all. They don't even exist. They are in the imaginations of people. Pagan gods, false worshipers, false religions. Verse 3, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now let me just pause right there and make a few comments. First of all, evidently there were people that were coming into the church that were coming out of pagan religions and they were bringing their pagan religious influences into the church. And they might be gathered for worship like we're gathered here today and somebody might be praising the Lord and somebody else praising the Lord and all of a sudden somebody stand up and say, Jesus is accursed. Where did that come from? 
And they would claim to be that that's the Spirit leading them. You know, that's coming from the Spirit. And what the Bible is saying is, listen, nobody that's led by the Holy Spirit, nobody that's filled with the Holy Spirit, nobody who has God's life in them is going to be saying Jesus is accursed. It's not going to speak negatively against the Son of God, against the Messiah, against the Savior. On the other hand, he says in that verse 3, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. You see, the church is, a, is comprised, it, it's a people of God who from the heart confess that Jesus is Lord. We see that in these first three verses, that the church is, is built, it's comprised of people who confess with their heart, not just their lips. You know, Jesus said in that day, when he comes back again and we all stand before the Lord, in that day, many are going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these wonderful works? Didn't we serve you? And didn't we fast? And didn't we uh, cast out demons in your name? And Jesus said, I'll say unto them, Depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. There are people who claim the name of Christ, who name the name of Christ, who say they are Christians, but it is simply lip service. Their lives do not reflect. Their heart does not reflect. That's why I say that the church is the people of God who confess from the heart that Jesus is Lord. It's comprised of people who are submitted to the lordship of Christ. Now this happens the moment you're saved. The lordship of Christ is not something you add to your life once you get saved. And that's kind of, some people believe that's sort of another step to greater spirituality. You know, you can get saved and, and, and be saved and be forgiven of your sins and have Christ in you and, and the hope of heaven when you die. And then if you really later in your life get really serious about your faith and you can uh, move to that next level of where you embrace Jesus as Lord in your life, that is not true. When you receive Christ, you receive him for who he is. He is both Savior and he is Lord. You can't take him as your Savior and say no to him as your Lord. It's not a cafeteria that you go through and say, well, I have some of this, but I don't want some of this. And you can pick and choose. That's not the way Christianity is. You either take all of Christ or none of Christ. Now, you may not understand everything about the Lordship of Christ when you get saved. I certainly didn't. But as I learned more about what it meant to receive Christ, that He is Lord, He's God, and He has authority over my life, He, is the, he has rule over my life, and I'm su to submit to Him as my Lord and be obedient to Him and let that be the pursuit and the direction of my life, as imperfect as it might be, that that's my passion, that's my love, that's my desire to be like Christ, then then I, I continue to move in that direction. But if a person comes to the place where they understand that if you receive Christ, then you've got to submit to his lordship. And they say, well, I, you know, I'm not willing to do that. I'm not going to change my life. I'm going, to live, I'm going to live like I want to. Well, you better check your faith. That's why Paul told the church at uh, Corinth, he said, examine yourselves to see if you be in the faith. The Bible says, if we confess with the mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. Salvation is predicated 
on a heart confession of Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you may be a member of a church, you may be a member of ten different churches, you may have been baptized, you may have been baptized several times. But if your heart's never been regenerated, if you have never allowed Christ to come and live on the throne of your life, if you, if you do not have a desire to live obediently in your faith toward the Lord Jesus Christ, then something is greatly amiss, greatly wrong in the faith that you profess to have. So we as the church are a people who are committed to the lordship of Christ. We are submitted to him. He is our Lord. We want to obey him. We love him. We want to serve him. We want our lives to count for him. And we want to grow in our obedience and grow in our relationship with him. And then we move on to verse 4. Not only is the church a body of people who by the Spirit can confess from the heart that Jesus is Lord. But we see in verses 4 to 11 that the church is a body of people who are gifted differently by the same Spirit. We confess Christ as Lord and we are gifted differently by the same Spirit who lives in us. Verse 4, now there are a variety of gifts but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. And there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. Now, let's look at those for just a moment. First of all, he says there are a variety of gifts. There are varieties, there are varieties of spiritual gifts. And these are given in several different portions of Scripture, one of which Colby read a moment ago in Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8 where the Bible says, and since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us exercise them accordingly. And then he begins to mention some uh, prominent or, or very uh, motivational type gifts. He lists seven of them. Prophecy, that's the speaking forth of the word of God, speaking God's word. It's not just predicting the future. And there were, that did happen with the Old Testament prophets. But prophecy is speaking forth the word of God. It may be about a future thing in the case of the Old Testament prophets, but today it's just proclaiming the truth of God's word. It's speaking forth the word of God. That's a gift. That's one of the gifts of the Spirit. And then in verse 7, we see another one, service. If service and is serving, that we're be faithful. If you have the gift of service, then you're to be faithful in that gift of serving. The gift of service where a person uh, just has sees needs for people to be served in the body of Christ and just gravitates and, and goes and meets those needs, whatever it might be. And then he mentions also the gift of teaching in verse 7 of Romans chapter 12. The gift of teaching is those who have the ability to, to take the word of God and to communicate it to others in a way that they can learn the truth of God's word and apply it in their lives. And then he mentions in verse 8 the gift of ex exhortation. That's an encourager. That's a person who exhorts others to put their faith into practice and, and gives them steps of how to do it, practical steps. This is how you live the Christian life. It's exhorting, it's encouraging others. Now that's my basic motivational gift. That's the motivation of my heart. When I stand to preach the word, yes, I am operating in a gift of 
in a prophetic manner of proclaiming the Word of God, but my motive is to encourage you and to exhort you in living the Christian life. In everything I do, whether it be one-on-one or whether it be in a large group setting like today, that's the motivation of my heart. And there are many people in the body of Christ who have that same gift. They're exhorters, they're encouragers, they're helping others to put their faith into practice and to live according to the principles of God's Word. And then we see the gift of giving in verse 8. He who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality. Does that mean that only those who have the gift of giving are supposed to give? No. Just like... Those who have the gift of service are not the only ones who are supposed to serve. But you see, God puts people in the body of Christ that that's their dominant primary motivation, whether it be serving or giving or prophecy or teaching, and they inspire others and they encourage others to do the same thing. And so the one who has the gift of giving is an example to others and actually motivates others toward giving, though it may not be their their predominant gift, but we're all to give. We're all to serve. To an extent, we're all to be encouragers to others. But some people are divinely gifted by God at the moment we're saved. And by the way, that's when our our gifts come to us is when we're saved. It is a divinely given gift. It's not just a natural ability. It's not just a skill that we've acquired, although God can sometimes use those things as in, in functioning and operating with our gift. But it is supernaturally given by the Holy Spirit when we're saved, and we are to discover that gift, and we are to employ that gift in serving others so that the body of Christ might be built up and be edified. He also mentions the gift of, of leading And I can give you so many examples of these and maybe at another time we can come back and take these things, uh, uh, these truths a step farther. But, uh, you know, the one with, people with the gift of giving, for instance, are not necessarily always the wealthiest people in the church. I have known, I knew a lady in a church where I served on staff in Blakely, Georgia. She was in her 90s when I was there. She was a little short lady, just as frail as she could be, but faithful, so faithful. And she had the gift of giving. She didn't even have her own home. She lived with uh, some of her family. She didn't have a lot of the things of this world. She didn't have a lot of money, but she was always giving something. It might be a jar of jelly. It might be something else, but she just had a giving heart. And I'll never forget being in a deacons meeting one night. She had asked the chairman of deacons if she could come and say something to the deacons. The church was going through a time where... uh, the, the church was not meeting its budget and uh, God had just put on her heart something to say and so she goes into the deacons meeting and when it comes her time she has some little slips of paper with verses, uh, scripture references written on them and she passes every deacon a scripture reference and, and she has them go around the table we were in a conference room type setting she had us go around the table and every deacon read a verse and every passage had to do with giving You should have seen some of those deacons. They were looking in the New Testament for a book of the Bible that was in the Old Testament. I mean, they were trying to find where these verses were. You could tell some of them didn't use their Bibles very much. They didn't even know how to find uh, scriptures in the books of the Bible. They didn't know you can go to the table of contents in the beginning, and that's where you find them. And so they were thumbing through the Bible trying to find their references. Well, they went around the room, and they all read all these verses from the Bible. 
And then that little old lady looks at these deacons and she said, if you men would do what the Bible says, our church will not have any trouble meeting our budget. Now, that lady had the gift of giving. She was motivating and challenging others to be givers and God was using her to strengthen the body of Christ. And there were others in the church that he did the same way. And God places people in every church that way. Just like in serving. There's some people that, you know, they serve in the nursery. I think about Joyce McDaniel. She loves to serve in the nursery. She's here in the service today, but she's down in the nursery a lot of times. She loves to serve in the nursery. She loves taking care of those children. Other people serve in the nursery because it's their duty they got to take their time. They don't really enjoy changing diapers. They don't really enjoy uh, crying babies. They don't really enjoy all the things that go along with that. But they do it. They do it because they know it needs to be done. But people like Joyce, who has, who, who has that gift of serving, motivates other people that don't have that same gift but know that it takes everybody to get the job done. And then it goes on to say, it mentions the gift of leading, uh, uh, or it's the gift of administration. It's those who are able to organize people to get a job done. If you have the gift of leadership or the gift of administration, and we need those. Uh, Jennifer Mills is a great example uh, of a person who has a gift of administration. She can take a project, and she can organize it, and she can get people signed up and get people involved and and like in our outreach that we've, we've done in the past and we're doing now, getting the, all the maps and the places ready and where everybody's going to go and who's going to do what and the materials that we need to take and put on the doors of those homes, it takes some administrative skills to organize a project like that. And God has placed people, and not just one, but multiple people in every church who have the gift of administration and they can organize the church to, to, to move forward and to move out and to do the work of God. It says if you have another gift there in verse 8, Romans 12 is the gift of mercy. If you have the gift of mercy, then do it with cheerfulness. The gift of mercy is the gift of compassion. It, it's a gift where people are motivated because they see hurts of others and they're just motivated to reach out and help those hurts. It might be demonstrated through uh, like the committee that served the meal yesterday for uh, the Hayes family. Every time we do a, have a member of our church who passes away, our church organizes a meal. Now, that's one of the toughest jobs in the church. There's two. I think the two hardest jobs in our church are the nursery coordinator that Catherine Moshe is in that capacity right now. That's one of the hardest jobs in the church, getting all the child care covered for all of our services by volunteers. That is a challenge. And then when you get them all, all set up, they don't all show up. And that's another challenge. But then the other is the, the bereavement committee. And the chairman of that, who is Bernie Savage right now, that person is contacted to organize a meal. Yesterday, I think we fed 60-something people in the fellowship hall. And the family was so appreciative. At the end of that meal, I had to leave early for an appointment. But someone told me that one of the members of that family stood up and gave a wonderful word of thanks on behalf of the family for the committee and our whole church as to how we administered to them and, and the food and, and how much. And they just lingered and stayed another hour after they were through eating and just to be together as a family because, as you know, a lot of times 
That's the only time that families can get together sometimes or do get together is at times of funeral, especially when your family's scattered out over uh, in other, other cities. But a person like Bernice, she has a, a compassion for other people and she does that ministry. It's not easy to call and get everybody lined up to bring certain different kinds of food. It takes a lot of telephone calling and other people on that committee help and that's not the easiest thing to do. But some people do it out of just cheerfulness because they know that this is a family that's going to be hurting and, and this food is going to minister to them and it's going to say to them, we love you and we care about you. And so God gifts people in the church. Now, everybody that brings a dish of food may not have the gift of mercy, but, but everybody that brings a gift knows that it's needed and, and Bernice and others have motivated them to, to do this because they have the gift of mercy and they're saying to others, we need you to do this. And so when everybody works together, the job gets done, the ministry takes place and people are helped in the name of Jesus Christ. So that's just one example of, of some gifts. There are others listed in our text that we've read today. Uh, if we were to read in verses 8 and following, it talks about uh, the gift, the word of wisdom, uh, the message of wisdom. God gives, puts in the church those who are given uh, godly wisdom, divine wisdom, biblical wisdom. And that's coupled with, with our intellect also, but, but how, to, how to put knowledge into, into practical practice each day. And then the word of knowledge in verse 8 of 1 Corinthians 12, that would be uh, the message of knowledge. It's just the ability to, uh, to, to learn truth and communicate truth and, and that spiritual understanding, that's what knowledge means there. It's spiritual understanding. Wisdom is the practical application of that understanding, but the knowledge is the understanding of spiritual truth, spiritual understanding, and imparting that. And then in verse 9, there's the gift of faith. I believe that our, the, those who are the greatest prayer warriors in churches have the gift of faith. Spurgeon Davis is one that I believe has the gift of faith. Uh, those of, 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 who have the gift of faith have a, a, a motivation to pray and trust God on behalf of the church for the big things that, that are needed and for the little things also. But those who are faithful to pray and intercede and yet all of us as a church were to be praying, a praying people. It's not just those with the gift of faith, but God especially puts in the body of Christ those who have the gift of faith so they can build up the entire body in that area of faith, of learning to trust God and to pray. And then as we read on in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, there's also the, the gifts of healing. And in verse 10... The effect of miracles, the healing and miracles were the gifts that were given in order to authenticate the message of the apostles that what they were preaching and teaching was indeed the word of God. It was from God. They didn't have the New Testament like we have today. And so their teaching, which came from God, was authenticated by God giving them the ability to do miracles and to do gifts of healing, miracles of healing. And we continue reading. It says, to another prophecy. I've already commented on that. And to another distinguishing of spirits to be able to discern what's of God and what's not of God. To another various kinds of tongues. That means languages. In the early church, they didn't have, uh, they didn't have seminaries in the early church in the way that we know today. They didn't have language school. Missionaries couldn't be uh, sent to language school to learn how to speak languages. 
God supernaturally gave believers the ability to communicate the gospel in languages that they had never learned. And they gave people the ability to hear in their own language even. Sometimes the miracle was on the hearing end and sometimes it was on the speaking end. But God miraculously gave people the ability to communicate who spoke different languages to be able to communicate with each other. The Lord didn't want to wait until everybody had time to go to language school and learn the languages of the world and then take the gospel. No, it was to be sped, spread rapidly and so he gave these divine gifts. Today, we send our missionaries to, to language school and they learn those languages. Sometimes we just send them uh, to the field. In some uh, mission-sending organizations, they just send missionaries to the field and they live for about a year and study the language before they actually start their primary ministry. And then we see also in verse 10 the interpretation of tongues or the interpretation of languages. So these, this is another listing of the gifts of the body of Christ. Now how, how do you discover your spiritual gift? I mean, how do you know? You're sitting out there today and maybe you're like I was at one point in my life. I didn't know a whole lot about spiritual gifts and I didn't know what mine was for sure. And then verse 1, we already see that Paul writes and says, I don't want you to be unaware of spiritual gifts. The King James says ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Did you know that there are many people in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ today that are ignorant about spiritual gifts, that do not understand what spiritual gifts are? You see, the church functions fruitfully and effectively by using our spiritual gifts. We don't just get into a committee meeting such as a nominating committee or a committee on committees and just going through a list of names and start trying to put names of people in positions. Now, some churches do that. And I'm sure we've done a lot of that here over the years ourselves. But the way that a church really functions well is to see what that person's spiritual gift is and then see where they can best serve in the body of Christ. We need to match up ministries with people's spiritual gifts. When you get people matched up with their spiritual gift and a ministry where that can be exercised, then there's fruitfulness, then there is productiveness. And then you're not frustrated in your ministry. You do it gladly. You do it with a joyful heart because God has put that particular motivation in your heart. And so we need to understand, all right, if you're going to discover your spiritual gift, first of all, just make sure you're a Christian because if you're not a Christian... You're not a believer. You do not have a spiritual gift. Secondly, confess your sin because sin can grieve the Holy Spirit and quench the power of God in our lives and make us ineffective in our ministry. Number three, turn your focus from self to others. You know, we live in a culture where church has become man-centered or me-centered rather than other-centered. Most people look at the church as a place to go and have their needs met. And look at the church as, well, what can the church do for me? What can the church, how can the church help me? And sometimes it's a spectator thing where we come and we sit and we want to be fed. We want to be blessed. We don't think about that we come to church for us to bless others, that we gather with other believers in small groups so that we can be a blessing to others. We often don't think about it in that way. I'm reminded of John F. Kennedy when he was serving as president of the United States. 
he had a quote that was probably his most famous quote, which said, Ask not what you can, your country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. May I say to you today, we need to apply that same philosophy to the church. Ask not what can my church do for me. Ask what can I do for my church. That's the mindset that we need. We need to come to bless God and bless others rather than just coming to be blessed ourselves. We need to come to church to serve rather than to be served. Through the years of my ministry, I've come across people that have gotten offended for different things. You know, maybe not enough people came to see them when they're in the hospital. Maybe nobody did. Maybe they didn't get ministered to in the way they were expecting uh, during a time in their life when they needed uh, ministry. And there have been a few times where I've had the courage to ask a person in that situation, I will say, well, let me ask you this. Have you ever taken a, a, a meal to someone? Have you ever visited someone in the hospital? Have you ever called someone that you hadn't seen in church for about four weeks or six weeks? Have you ever called someone to check up on them to see if something was wrong or if there's something you could do to help them? And you know, that puts to silence the critics pretty quickly. Because oftentimes, we expect others to do things for us. We expect others to do things for us that we aren't doing for other people when the shoe is on the other foot. And so we need to, listen, there will be times when somebody does slip through the cracks in ministry. And it will not be on purpose. There will be times when somebody may not show up for church for six weeks or, or maybe longer, and we just think that they're, they're out of town or, you know, whatever, that things are happening and, and, and time goes by fast, and all of a sudden we realize we missed that person. Sometimes a person is in the hospital and we don't find out about it. Sometimes a person has a need and we don't know. We can't read minds. And there have been a few times when there have been messages uh, sent to the church and somebody forgot. Maybe I forgot. Maybe someone else that was to get that message to me wrote it down and then they got on another phone call or maybe before they could get writ written down, they got on another phone call and, and something slipped through, slipped through the cracks. But you see, let us be concerned about others. Let us be concerned in helping others. So make sure you're a Christian. Confess your sin. Turn, from, from your, turn your focus from self to others and just start ministering somewhere. You may not know what your spiritual gift is. Just start serving. And then you're going to find out where you serve the most effectively. You're going to find out what's not your area of service and you're going to find out what is your area of service. You're going to begin to see and others will recognize in you your spiritual gifts sometimes before you recognize it yourself. So discern your motivation. What is your motive for wanting to help others? What is your passion? What's the passion of your heart? What type of ministry do you eagerly anticipate doing? That's where your gifts Lives. And it may not just be one single gift. It might be a predominant gift that has got other gifts blended in with it. As a, I'm an exhorter, but also I, I'm a prophet, and also I am, or at least I operate in the gift of prophecy, of delivering the Word of God, and I also have to have a measure of the gift of teaching in doing that. But my motivation in everything I do is exhorting, exhorting, encouraging others. So see 
where your motivation is. And then as you examine your church's ministry, where do you think improvement can be made? And what the things you see that need to be done, that may be the very thing God's laying on your heart to initiate getting done in the body of Christ. And then what do other people see as your spiritual gift? You may, if somebody feels like they have the gift of teaching, but nobody else thinks they have that gift, then they probably don't have it. So others will recognize the gift that you have. Well, there are varieties of gifts in verse 4, varieties of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit, it's the Holy Spirit that gives the spiritual gifts. And then in verse 5, there are varieties of ministries. So there are varieties of ministries in which those spiritual gifts can be used. It might be a ministry with children, a ministry with students. It might be a ministry with uh, senior adults. It might be a, a ministry of evangelism. It might be a ministry of discipleship. It might be a ministry of outreach of some kind. And, and so there are a variety of ministries in which our gifts function and, are, and operate. And then verse 5, verse 6 rather, says there are varieties of effects. What that means is that our, our gifts produce varying measures of fruit. There are varying measures of results when we operate our gifts in the power of the Holy Spirit. For instance... Some people preach before thousands in a football stadium and, and, and speak and bring an evangelistic message and, and, and seeking to win souls to faith in Jesus Christ, such as a Billy Graham, for instance. Other people evangel do evangelism one-on-one. -on -one. And they just they work with co-workers at work and people they come across and they have the gift of an evangelist and they evangelize. Now everybody's to evangelize, but somebody or just some people in the church, God has given that as their predominant motivation. And so we are to we have different amounts of fruit. We don't all have the same of fruit. You may not you may only lead a few people to faith in Christ. Somebody else leads thousands to faith in Christ. We leave the results to God. Minister your spiritual gift in the power of the Holy Spirit and then leave the results to God the Father. So there are a variety of gifts, variety of ministries, varieties of effects. Verse 7 says, notice in those verses, by the way, but it's the same Spirit, verse 4, we all, our gifts come from the same Spirit. The same Lord, verse 5, no matter what our ministry is, we all serve the same Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 6, though there are varying results and fruitfulness, it's the same God. It's the same God. God gets all the glory. We're doing our work and service for Him. And He works all things in all persons. But notice verse 7, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We're all given our spiritual gifts for the common good of others to the building up and the edifying of the church of Jesus Christ. It's a lot like an orchestra. The church is like an orchestra. We all play different instruments. An orchestra is made up of the brass instruments. You've got the wind instruments, the woodwind instruments. You've got the string instruments. You've got the percussion instruments. All of those work together to make up an orchestra. In the same way... In the body of Christ, we all have different gifts. And when we all put into practice our spiritual gifts, then we make beautiful music as the church of Jesus Christ, serving the Lord, penetrating the world with the gospel of Christ, to making disciples, serving and edifying and building up and strengthening the body of the Lord 
Jesus Christ. Now, as we close this morning, let me say this. It has been, Bruce shared this at the beginning, it has been a beautiful experience to sit back, to stand back and watch the body of Christ ministering and serving, not just to our family, but to others, and in the hospitals, and in the nursing homes, and in the rehabs, to see people. Let me tell you, what's happening in our church right now is something that I think we're going to see have a tremendous impact on this whole body, because when the people of the pew, the people you, are out doing the work of ministry, and people don't just perceive it as the professional job of the pastor to do all the visits and, and all the ministry to the shut-ins. It has a greater impact on them, just like uh, two different ones who got visited this week. One lady said, I didn't know that we had so many people visiting. Bruce said, I didn't have the heart to tell her that it just started, you know. <laughs> and yes, we've had people visiting before, but not in the manner that it's happening right now. More people are impacting other lives. And so... God is getting the glory, and people are saying, oh, okay, I see. If the pastor comes to see them, they don't think about, oh, it's my responsibility also as, as the patient to when I get well to pray for others and minister to them. But when they see lay people coming to visit and minister and pray with them, then they say, oh, well, I can do that too when I'm better. When I'm well, I can minister to other people. This needs to grow. It needs to mushroom to where the body is functioning together and we will be more effective, more fruitful, and more productive as we do this exercising our gifts in the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this church and thank you, Lord, for the way we see very beautifully your body working together. And Lord, we're learning in this process and we're growing in this process. Help us, oh God to do, do it more and more and better and better, Father. I thank you for the impact that it's already having on the lives of other people who see the church engaged in ministry and to see that it is something that not just the professional staff can do, but it's something that every Christian can be a part of doing. Lord, help those in this room today that do not know where their area of giftedness is. Help them, Lord, to be able to just start serving somewhere and then through that service for it just to rise to the top where they see, where they function the most fruitfully and enjoy that ministry the most. Engage us, O oh God, in ministry. We don't want to be just spectators. We want to be involved. We don't want to be those on the bench watching our teammates play the game. We want to be in the game also, Lord. So we ask you, God, to help that to be put into practice more and more in the body of Christ here. If there's anyone here today that's not a part of your body because they don't know you, don't have a relationship with you, and all this about spiritual gifts really didn't mean much to them, that need a true saving relationship with Jesus, they would come and let that be known as we give our invitation today. If there are those who need a church home, that they feel free to come and say, I want to be a part of this church. I want to be a member here. I've been baptized. I'm a believer in Christ but I want to be a part of the church. Lord, there may be Christians who have never been baptized, and we'll be doing that in, in a few weeks, and I pray, God, that there'd be others who would be willing to identify themselves through believer's baptism. And I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Let's stand together. Jennifer will come and lead us in our song of decision. You come and let your decisions be known publicly today as we sing.